No fear. No political correctness. No wokeism. You're listening to Underground USA. Thanks for downloading and listening. My name is Frank Salvato, and you're listening to Underground USA. The nation's top financial leaders expected to once again raise interest rates when they meet again this week. This is part of their ongoing effort to fight inflation. The Federal Reserve System is the central bank of the United States. The Fed's mission is to promote the stability of the United States economy and our nation's financial system. The Fed supervises and regulates banks and other financial institutions. Also, as the nation's central bank, the Fed acts as lender of last resort. The United States Federal Reserve is considering the creation of a digital dollar. Cyber currencies have many supporters, yet critics warn they would be a privacy nightmare. One currency expert claims the removal of cash would push America closer to a totalitarian state. Just like paper dollars, a central bank digital currency, or CBDC, would be issued by the Federal Reserve. Opponents warn that it could be a very effective instrument of government control. The Fed would be able to force negative interest rates on Americans if it wanted them to spend more, penalizing savers. If you regularly read or listen, hopefully you do both, you know I'm no fan of the Federal Reserve. From its genesis on Jekyll Island, to its mishandling of crisis after crisis, to its unholy relationship with the world bankers and the globalist cabal over at the World Economic Forum, at no time has the Federal Reserve ever sided with the people. They simply aren't set up to do that, nor do they see any benefit to it. The Federal Reserve is not a government entity. It is a conglomerate of big bankers assembled into a regional system that looks out for the banks. It is, by their own admission, the Central Bank of the United States, even though no federal authority was given for the creation of a central bank. In fact, the United States had a decentralized banking system, and if that sounds familiar, give yourself a merit point, until the Federal Reserve Act of 1919. Thanks for the screwing again, Mr. Wilson. The Federal Reserve Act created the Federal Reserve System, responsible for managing the country's money supply, making loans, and providing oversight, that's in quotes, to the banks, and serving as a lender of last resort. It also created a national currency and a monetary system that they insisted could respond effectively to the stresses in the banking system, creating a stable financial system. A later amendment requires the Federal Reserve, and this is a quote, to promote effectively the goals of maximum employment, stable prices, and moderate long-term interest rates, unquote. And you've seen what a fine job the Federal Reserve has done in executing these responsibilities. 
Since 1919, we have seen the Depression of 1920, the Wall Street Crash of 1929, the Great Depression of 1929, the worst economic crisis in modern history, the energy crisis of the 1970s, the recession of the early 1980s, the savings and loan crisis of 1986, the Black Monday stock market crash of 1987, the recession of the 1990s, the recession of the early 2000s, the dot-com bubble burst of 2000, the subprime mortgage crisis of 2008, and the double dose of Black Monday and Black Thursday in the 2020 stock market crash. Oh sure, we see Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell talking about doing all he can to stem inflation. But the fact is, the policies of the Federal Reserve put the economy into the unstable state it exists in today. And looking at that list of financial catastrophes, was anyone or any organization bailed out other than the big banks and the gamblers of Wall Street? I dare say no. The subprime mortgage crisis of 2008 stands as a perfect example, although there were many more guilty parties to the fleecing of the United States than just the Federal Reserve. In that instance, the entire financial sector stood guilty of grifting the system, using other people's money to gamble with and losing. In that massive economic miscalculation, people from all walks of life lost lifetimes worth of accrued wealth, all because of the avarice of Wall Street gamblers, their investment banker enablers, and yes, the Federal Reserve. Consider this. Do you really know what a hedge fund is? In short, these are wealthy groups of people who half the time bet on an asset losing or hedging their bets. Those who manage hedge funds can literally make money off of a loss. How is it pro-American to hope that someone loses financially, that people invest money in the hope that someone fails? Sure, it's more complicated than that, but the fact remains, if that investment were used to support business rather than bet against it, how many companies would still be around today? How many people would be gainfully employed? Further, there are investment vehicles that are used that allow investment bankers and hedge fund managers to take great risks, placing very risky bets with other people's money. A look at the 2008 subprime mortgage crisis is a perfect example. Massively risky financial actions by the biggest banks in the world ended in catastrophe, not for the major players, although some institutions were left swinging in the wind by their brother big bankers but for the investors, the little guys. And what did our federal government do? Do you remember the first time the term too big to fail was used? That's right. The government used created Federal Reserve currency based on the future promise of extracting the bailout funding from the United States taxpayers. Additionally, we've all got to understand that when the U.S. government throws financial commitments around on the world stage, that promise of the banks opening their windows to third world and emerging nations is backed, at least since 1971, by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. Of course, that means you and me, the taxpayers, not the big bankers, not the Wall Street gamblers, not the hedge fund managers or derivative traders, you and I, the taxpayers. 
Now comes the U.S. government and Federal Reserve's want to establish a central bank digital currency, or in layman's terms, a digital dollar. Doing so even as they, along with the Security and Exchange Commission, seek to destroy the cryptocurrency markets for the sole reason that they can't control it. Imagine the grifting that would be facilitated if the U.S. federal government and their colluding Federal Reservers could digitally control wealth. All of our wealth. Worse than that, imagine how the government could use its control over the administration of that digital currency system to control you. To control the public in mass. Didn't get a COVID shot? Government turns off the access to your money. The IRS believes, without due process, that you owe taxes. They simply take it by deducting it digitally. Protest an action by a government that has become tyrannical? They will literally turn off access to your money and starve you into submission. Think I'm joking? Look at what the fascist Justin Trudeau did to Canadian truckers during their protest of draconian COVID regulations. Regulations we now know served no medical purpose whatsoever. They eliminated their access to their wealth. Denied them access to their wealth. Are you naive enough to believe that the Biden administration wouldn't have used their control of a central bank digital currency to mandate their COVID edicts? They tried to use OSHA and succeeded until sanity dripped out of the United States Supreme Court. I had a chance to talk with Jenny Logan, a certified financial planner and lawyer, who understands the dark underbelly of the Federal Reserve and their voracious appetite to establish a central bank digital currency. And while she does provide a solid argument for why the possibility of a central bank digital currency is slim and none in the short term, she agrees with my alarm about government's encroachment into the private sector and how a central bank digital currency opens the door to despotic totalitarianism. And now for the shameless plug. Instead of acquiescing to a bully government in fascist collusion with the big bankers of the United States, we need to reduce the encroachment of the federal government into our lives to effectively decentralize the federal government back to its proper role as defined before Woodrow Wilson ended the government our framers bequeathed to us. This is precisely the subject matter I address in my new book, Nullification, The Case for Decentralizing the Federal Government. It's available on Amazon in digital and printed form. I hope you pick up a copy, read it, and then send it on to trustworthy members of your state governments, asking them to consider the concept as an option for saving our republic. Without a doubt, opposing a central bank digital currency is critical. And when I come back, I talk with Jenny Logan about just that. Who helped cause soaring gas prices? BlackRock. Who contributed to outrageous housing prices? BlackRock. BlackRock and Larry Fink spent years harassing oil and gas companies, making them divest from fossil fuels. Now you feel the pain. And BlackRock-owned companies are snatching up houses, crippling families. Now BlackRock's former ESG czar, Brian Deese, is Biden's economic advisor, crushing America from within. That's what BlackRock is really about. 
State Farm says they're a good neighbor. But would a good neighbor target five-year-olds for conversations about sexual identity? State Farm did. For six months, they asked employees to donate guides to being transgendered to public schools. Books aimed at making kindergartners question their identity. How do parents know where State Farm put these books? What's State Farm doing about it? Visit AskStateFarmWide.com. Jenny Logan is a certified financial planner, attorney, and the principal at Chisholm Financial Planning, where she provides her clients with expert personal financial planning advice and facilitates online courses focused on financial literacy. In my talks with Jenny, she's made it clear that she sees a need for financial education and, instead of just talking about the problem, she's executing an action plan informing and educating clients and the public on straightforward and actionable financial planning tools and strategies. Right now, my conversation with Jenny Logan. Jenny, thanks for taking the time to come and talk with us today. Um, I want to ask you a couple questions to come in a a 360 type of thing uh, Mm -hmm. so that people can... um, maybe grasp a, a bigger concept of how this whole thing works together and what the Fed is trying to do, what the Biden administration is trying to do moving forward, Janet Yellen and all of them. Yeah. Uh, but before we start, I want to I ask you, the Fed has said to be raising interest rates again. Uh, how is that going to affect people moving forward from where we are today? Yes, yes. Well, so there's really um, two ways that I think the average street investor can think about what happens if they raise rates. So there's what happens in the broader sense to the marketplace. Um, So basically their stock portfolio, their grocery store bill. So in that instance, you know, raising rates, um, the hope is by doing so that they will tamper down inflation. um, And then in which case your dollar will stop losing its value. Um, So I think that you know, consumers might be able to hope that this will help. I don't know. You know, hope is not an investment philosophy. And so far, the only real move I've seen them do is uh, reevaluate how they measure inflation <laughs> so that they can say that it's been going down. So I'm not sure exactly, frankly, how much they're going to raise rates. I think it's actually today. I don't know if they've um, announced what they're raising it by. But I don't see a huge impact as far as on tempering down the inflationary pressures. I think we're going to stay in an inflationary period for quite some time. That being said, investment portfolio wise, right? So there's your buying power on a daily basis. But then with your investment portfolio, raising rates may help in some ways if you have money in the stock market because people will choose to put their money in the markets as opposed to necessarily um, borrowing and spending it on things they may instead invest instead of spending it on you know goods and services it might be more appealing but in some ways it might also sort of um benefit those savers who have their money in the bank accounts right because if they raise interest rates the goal would be that interest rates would reflect in the banking sector although we have not seen that um money markets of course have been reflected but banking sector not so much so all that to say Quite honestly, I don't think they're going to raise rates enough for it to have a huge significant impact on inflation or really on the portfolio that you may have in the equities market. As an aside, um, how do you feel the Fed has uh, has handled uh, 
the economy, let's say, going back to uh, the Obama administration and then the aftermath of the housing market crisis. Um, a lot of people want to say, boy, we're in the position we are today because of the decisions that the Fed has made. Mm-hmm, do you mm-hmm. do you agree with that? Uh, yes, I think, you know, we can go back much further and look at our entire monetary system. I know we don't have time to discuss that um, in total. But yes, I think, you know, quite honestly, um, the gerontocracy running the Fed is, you know, they're sort of in, I hate to say this because it sounds so, you know, uh, like a young person saying how we should run things. But the truth is, I think, you know, we're sort of running the system that was established back before we had instant information. Um, we had a lot of decentralization capacity now with computer systems and softwares. So I just wonder, you know, what it is, because, you know, they raise these rates, they say, based on inflation numbers, based on jobs, based on all these things. And I almost feel like the data they get is like two weeks behind what I see on Twitter, um, which is kind of crazy. But at the end of the day, I think we have a real structural problem with how our banking system is being run and specifically with the Federal Reserve. Now, if you were to ask me, (laughs) how do we solve it? Um, That's a little bit more of an intricate question because I don't see any willpower to solve this problem until there's a real crisis. Uh, which we may or may not have, you know, in the coming decade. And I certainly hope hope not. But at the same time, I'm not sure how solvent the system will continue to be on the current course it is. Okay. In a in a Cliff Notes version, because as you hit on, the subject of the Federal Reserve is something that can go on for for years just discussing it. I usually tell people a great book to read in order to understand um what the federal reserve is its genesis and and its in-depth kind of beginning is to read the creature from jekyll island which yes which is a when you read it your your head just wants to explode because of what they pulled off but in a cliff notes version can you explain what the federal reserve is and what its function is in today's economy yeah so essentially so they have several stated functions um but the one that really most street investors should be aware of is they set the overnight bank interest rate they do a number of other things but when we talk about interest rates what we're really talking about is what can one bank borrow from another bank what is the interest rate they can borrow at and the reason that that matters is if the bank has to borrow at a certain amount, a certain percentage, they then have to turn around and charge their customers a higher percentage so they can make money, right? So higher interest rates for a bank means higher interest rates for you. And ultimately, that's why we see a raise in interest rates. Um, So that's one of their functions is they set that rate, which then impacts all the way down to the consumer's borrowing um, rates. The other thing they do is um, they... And this is sort of complicated. And I, I that book actually that you recommended, The Monster from Jekyll Island, I actually recently read and did a book review on. And I, yes, anyone who has any interest in the Fed should be reading that. It will make you a dissident. That's what I like to say about <laughs> it. Um, but uh, the other thing that they do is they sort of, they have a system that they're able to basically flood the market with dollars on an as needed basis. And so on top of you know, setting this interest rate, they also can print money essentially. And they have a they have a method they call it. 
the Mandrake system. And it's sort of, I don't want to say it's complicated because it's really just a lot of noise more than anything, but it is a little bit um, complex to try to explain in this you know podcast for what you're trying to do. Um, but yeah, so that's really what they do. So you can think of it as they set interest rates, which then in turn can raise or lower how much it costs for you to borrow money. And they also can flood the market with dollars if need be. Um, as we've seen in the last you know decade or so or since the Obama administration in particular. Is it fair to say, and I know they don't like to couch themselves of this, but it's to anybody who's got even a, um, a shaded view of what they do, is it fair to say that they're, the Fed is pretty much the central bank of the United States? Yes, that's exactly what they are. So yeah, thank you. In a nutshell, they are the central bank. <laughs> and, and, but, we're, but we weren't supposed to have a central bank. Correct. And, you know, the funny thing is, and I think it's actually in that book that we both talked about, um, the Federal Reserve is neither the federal government, nor does it have any reserves. So I think that's something a lot of people don't realize either. That doesn't have like a vault of money. Um, So something to keep in mind is a lot of the things about the Federal Reserve are a little bit odd and purposefully misleading, I suspect. And I think one of the things that they touch on in that book is the fact they talk about us getting off the gold standard and things like that, where when the United States guarantees loans for for third world countries and outside interests, it's all with taxpayer dollar promises. Mm -hmm. Am Am I correct on that? Yes. Yes. So all of the money that's been flood into not just our economy, um, but the global economy, uh, the global marketplace, you know, it's dollar denominated at this point. Um, that is all that's all on the backs of not just, you know, you can say the U.S. citizens, but really it's going to be the middle and lower class population um, of the citizenry that it's going to be on the backs of for the most part. So now we come to the the meat of of what I wanted to have you on to talk about. You, we hear a lot of talk about a central bank digital currency. Now, this is the caveat is that we don't have a central bank, and this has been <laughs> assumed by the Fed, which is a conglomeration of private banks that, for lack of a better word, but I think it's an appropriate word, collude with the federal government to to manipulate the economy. What is their concept of a central bank digital currency? Well. So they, their concept, I'm going to guess at because they claim, as one would guess, that they, they're not, their goal is not to have a central bank digital currency. So I want to put that out there. They will claim that if you Google it, that's what you're going to see. You know, USA Today or whatever, Washington Post will say that. Um, I think ultimately, of course, they want to have a central bank digital currency. And what that really means is your money is going to be on a ledger that the federal government, or I would say the Federal Reserve in conjunction with the federal government has control over, right? So essentially, I think what when you think of a central bank digital currency, you have to think of, okay, when you go down to your bank at, you know, I don't even know if the banks would exist, but let's say you go down to B of A um, and you get your money out, that money is digitally marked and the US government has control over, you know, can you take it out if you're a felon? Maybe they've decided you can't. If you're a gun owner, maybe they've decided you can't, right? So they have all this control over. And of course, you know, they will justify it, I'm sure, by saying things like, well, we'll just make sure that people pay their taxes 
or we'll just make sure that money laundering doesn't happen or, you know, all these bad things that we have to protect you from. That's why we're going to need it. And I suspect that is the road that they will likely go down coming this decade. Now, why did they want it so bad? Now, I'm going to keep calling it a central bank digital currency because <laughs> when you start accepting the terms that that um, the people in power want you to use, you're ceding your ability to um, to play on a on an even keel where they can't change the definition of things. Um, why do they want a central bank digital currency so bad? Coming from a a power and a governmental point of view. Well, I mean, if you think about it. Um, they want complete control. I think you can just look back over this last, you could just really just go back to COVID um, and seen a lot of these Western government policies. And, and so, of course, we're talking about a central bank digital currency, specifically in the US. But I think a lot of the moves you see at these in these Western governments are pretty similar, right? You can see the motives. They're all very substantially the same. So, for instance, you know, if you have a central bank digital currency and let's say you have a bunch of truckers who don't like the policy <laughs> that you are putting in place and they're going to go ahead and uh, protest by refusing to deliver, by maybe flooding your city streets, things like that. Well, you know, not only do you possibly not want to arrest them and make a big production in the news, but you could just, you know, turn off their ability to get their money, um, which would be a lot easier, a lot um, of an easier sell. No one would see it, right? We actually just saw recently in the UK, I forget the, you know, leader of Brexit. You might. I don't know if you. Yeah, Ni- Ni- Nigel Farage. Yes, Nigel Farage, who's you know who everyone thought was crazy at the time, but anyway, leader of Brexit. They just debanked him. Now he's in process. It looks like of getting his banking back, but this is happening now more and more, where we see uh, opponents to the regime, whatever you know you want to characterize that as in the West, uh, are being deplatformed, debanked, and if they have a central bank digital currency. You know, it's going to be as simple as just, nope, we're going to turn it off. And now you can't. Um, You know, there's a lot of people on the right really concerned, especially during COVID. They were concerned about, you know, concentration camps or places that they would put um, people who weren't going to get vaccinated, things like that. And, you know, I think the thinking really now is, well, they won't need to do anything like that. um, These governments that have a central bank digital currency, because they'll just make it so you cannot transact in the economy, which is like putting you in your own prison without having to do anything. We we pretty much just saw this up in Canada during COVID when the Canadian government shut off banking privileges for people who are protesting. And I think that's when you were talking about the the truck drivers mm-hmm. protesting that's what happened and and it was like a canary in the coal mine as far as i was concerned you know that, that were people going to allow it to happen were they going to be outraged and protest were they going to vote these people out of office i didn't hear a lot of incredible protestation coming out of the people of canada i know there was a, a you know a vocal minority but you would have thought that a f- what is couched as a free society would have been more outraged about that. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, I think that's kind of been the theme I would say since for me, 20, almost 2016, um, there's been a lot of things where I thought the populations would sort of really push back on. But I think the problem is, you know, what the governments have been successful in doing is demonizing those who they are doing this to 
And so, you know, it's all fine and good if they're going to debank Donald Trump, for instance. Right. That's mm-hmm. all fine and good. It's fine. It's not going to. And I think the mentality is, well, I'm that won't happen to me. What these people don't realize is, is, you know, if you start debanking even the most awful people in your society, it's only a matter of time. That line will continue to to get for like thinner and thinner and thinner, closer and closer and closer. And pretty soon, you know, they will be debanking people that. Uh, you know, maybe they run, they have a gas vehicle instead of an electric vehicle. Um, and that's, you know, that's just a natural outgrowth of government. They are not ever going to be a good thing and we should keep them smaller. And a central bank digital currency is just going to extend their reach beyond, you know, unimaginable amounts. So you mentioned if you don't use electric cars, I mean, there's a, there is an incredible amount of subjects that could be applied to this kind of, of coercion. I mean, if you're not, if you're not compliant with, uh, if you have kids in school and you protest at a school board meeting about what's being taught in their curriculum, if, if the government, we're seeing Gavin Newsom do this, he's fining school, school boards in mm-hmm. California, mm-hmm. um, because they won't teach an extreme curriculum that the state has decided must be taught. Those people, they could shut off your shut off your finances. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's so insidious, and I don't think people realize the level of power and control. And the other reality is, is it puts a lot of control into these bureaucrats who maybe are nameless and faceless. You know, let's be real. Our our country at this point is being run by a bunch of managers who we've not elected. And so, you know, not only is it going to be our elected officials who have this power, like Gavin Newsom, but his whole office of these bureaucrats can, you know, kind of micromanage this. I mean, I don't know if any of your listeners, I'm sure, have dealt with maybe the IRS or even Mm -hmm. in California, the Franchise Tax Board. You know, getting those people on the phone is like an act of God. And so imagine if they shut off your bank account and you don't know why you don't you don't know how to turn it back on. You don't know who to contact. They'll just, you know, move that file around their office like we know they do in these other government organizations. So I think, you know, it's it's not just, oh, they can do this grand thing for these protesters. It's, you know, maybe you anger a bureaucrat who has a little bit of power in this system and suddenly your investment account is gone. Um, I think that's really what we're talking about here. And I just I, I share your um, your sentiments where, you know, I talk to people all day long, you know, with my clients and stuff, and they just don't seem concerned. And I think, again, it's because they are convinced that this government has their best interest at heart. And since they're on the right side of history, quote unquote, you know, it's not going to happen to them. You know, when we look at what's in the, in the headlines today and I'm, I see, I, and I come from admittedly a, a constitutionalist conservative point of view. Um, I'm seeing things that in the news and you talked about the bureaucracy or, or the deep state um, as it were, where you're correct, where we're not, our elected officials are not really in control of what's happening, especially at the federal level. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you've got a bureaucracy and they say, we're closing down government. Well, government doesn't stop. They just close the parks. <laughs> and, and, you know, anything that's front facing, they close so they can exact pain. So the public gets agitated and then they force a political vote in one of the houses. But 
talking about the IRS, you know, and I, and I'm sure red flags just went up all over the internet. They're talking about the IRS. <laughs> um, a, a mid-level person there who's in charge, let's say a lowest learner mm-hmm. who, who gets to decide who gets nonprofit and who doesn't, you know, so a decision comes down to an approval or a non-approval or an audit or, or, an, or whether not to audit that could come with an automatic freezing of your finances to even a gated extent. Well, we don't know if you're going to owe this money or not. So you can only spend 40% of what you have. You can only have access to 30% of what you have. All of these decisions would be arbitrary. Oh, completely. I mean, it's, it's, it's auditing on steroids. And the reality is, is it's only going to really impact lower middle-class middle class and upper middle class citizens. Um, you know, the upper class, the, the top, you know, I would say even one percentish, maybe two percent, they will have assets elsewhere. You know, they'll make arrangements. There's always a workaround for this kind of thing if you have enough money. But for the average homeowner who, you know, maybe has a nice little retirement nest egg, maybe they own a business, you know, this is where they will be able to really control exactly what you said. What school can you send your kids to? Because if you don't pick the right one, um, what are they going to do? You know, what um, what cars are you going to drive? What stove will you have? Right. Mm-hmm. I live in New York State. There was a whole thing about that. It was just crazy. So it it is very dangerous. And I just wish even people that you know, politically might disagree on all sorts of things. I wish they would understand that the government is not your friend and any extra power we give them is not, they're not going to give it back to us and it's not going to be used in for good. Yeah. To, to paraphrase it, um, an, an old saying, the power that you give to somebody today because you favor the, what they stand for will eventually be used against you because you've given the power away. When, yes. the, when the pendulum swings, now you've given that power to people that you may not agree with. Yep. So, so you're on record as saying a central bank digital currency or digitizing the dollar and getting rid of paper money is a very bad thing. Yes, I will definitely say that on record. It's a very, very bad thing. It's it's the end of, I mean, this is going to sound so extreme. It would be the end of Western civilization. It would be the final nail in the coffin. And to come back from something like that would be very difficult. On that subject, there is a there is an another side to this central bank digital currency. And we've seen this in in what people have, have now just branded the cryptosphere. Um, decentralized finance, where you're seeing, and the boy, the U.S. government, the SEC, the Fed, they hate decentralized finance. Mm-hmm. What, when we look at the system we have today that's lorded over by the Fed and, and, and colluded with by people in, in the government and, and the bureaucracy, why are they so anti-decentralized finance? Well, you have to, it it all goes back to this control. And so there's a couple things. One, with decentralized finance, um, they can't control it, meaning they can't print money when they need to. So they can't just go and spend into oblivion 
and then print it and hope for the best like they have been doing, right? Um, So that's one thing about a decentralized currency that's pegged to something that there is no ability for them to control and spend whatever they want. Um, But there's also the reality that all commerce takes place outside of their hands, (laughs) outside of their paws, if you want. I don't know what you want to call it. And so, you know, that is really that is the one thing that they want to control because that controls everything else is the ability to make money, get money. Um, And so with the decentralized commercial system, the government becomes pretty useless, right? Then they should, then they would have to go back to really just doing what they're supposed to do, which is stop violent things from happening and protect our borders. Um, But yeah, so ultimately I think that's it. It's all about control. And I think they've become so used to being able to just spend and spend and spend and print and print and print that truthfully a decentralized currency would collapse that entire system. Um, and I don't know what that would look like, but it would definitely reduce the government size very significantly. Now we, we listen to, you know, people who talk at the world bank and the UN and people coming out of the world economic forum, always talking about wanting to help third world economies <laughs> and, and have let them have access to the financial system. Doesn't a decentralized financial system actually help? the exact people that they're saying they want to help? Well, yes, exactly. A decentralized system is essentially outside the control of managers, <laughs> which is what, you know, or elites or experts or whatever we want to call them this week. And so it allows for people to engage in the commerce they want to engage in with the parameters that they want to do so. So you mentioned, you know, the World Bank and these international institutions want to, you know, quote unquote, help um, third world countries, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I mean, the reality is, is all of that help is self-serving. And usually it's just some sort of way to print more money, give bad loans to these poor countries and, you know, empower people who should not be empowered. I mean, it's a whole, you got to read that book. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think decentralized, I think the way, the real battle we're at is are we going to go centralized in everything, right? So that's what the central bank digital currency is. And if we do that, we have these managers and these power grabs by these people and they're going to run everything. Or are we going to go the way of decentralization, which allows for individual autonomy and freedom and decisions on how you want to behave in the marketplace wherever you are in the world, whether it be here or you know South America, Africa, wherever it might be. Now... The final question before we before we part ways, at least for this time, because I'd love to get you back on to talk more in depth about the Federal Reserve. I would love it. This has been fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, what what is the difference between uh, the central bank digital currency that uh, that the Fed and and the Treasury and 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 all of the deep state says they don't want but want, and stable coins or Bitcoin? Well, so the real, the biggest difference, well, there's a bunch of differences, but the biggest one you're going to see is that the central bank digital currency will not be tied to anything just like, so there's no like gold standard. There's nothing that is a finite amount of this currency. And so what you'll see is basically what we're doing now, but so they can print, they can spend, they can do whatever they want. They can inflate the dollar to, you know, to no end. 
but they also have the control over who can be transacting in the commercial system. Um, a Bitcoin or a decentralized coin, such as Bitcoin, has a finite amount, right? So it's pegged to something, much like if people are familiar with how the gold standard worked, it means your currency is backed by something, which means you can't just simply print more of it and make it worth less. And so that would be the main difference is, you know, the central bank digital currency in the eyes of that government would be the best of everything. It gives them ultimate control over the population and it also enables them to make as much currency as they want without any questions being asked. Okay, and and before we leave, I want to I want to ask you what is tell me about Chisholm Financial Planning. What you what you offer your clients? Um what your your mission with that with your company and how people can get in touch with you find out more etc cetera, etc cetera. uh yes of course um well first i do want to say one quick point though about central bank digital currency that i think is a little bit glimmer of hope um and that we must realize while it might seem we're going this route to actually implement a central bank digital currency requires a lot of competence and a lot of administrative work. And I don't know if our federal government has it in them to actually pull it off. So that is one thing I do want to leave your listeners with. There is some hope that their incompetence will buy us time <laughs> and ability to, you know, sort of avoid this catastrophe. So and, and there's and there's plenty of that in Washington, DC. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Tell me about Chisholm Financial Planning. So um, so my company, I've been in business. I own a financial planning company. We do financial planning and asset management for families and individuals. Uh, we are an online business. So all my clients are remote. I have clients all over the US and actually some who are abroad. Um, and we believe that everyone can work towards financial freedom, but they have to be disciplined about it. And, you know, so clients that come to me, we talk about what they want to do and we build a plan that's reasonable, right? You're not going to go from zero to 60 real fast, but consistent and disciplined and how we're going to do it. We have very traditional um, methods, right? So buy and hold in the stock market, um, save as much as you can, those kinds of things. Um, and yeah, it's been great. I, like I said, we've been, I've had my company for about a decade and I started it as a brick and mortar. And now I'm in the process of building an online presence, which has been, you know, kind of fun actually. And Frank, it's been helping me with that, but, um, yeah, it's been great. So that's my business. Like I said, we work with families and individuals. And recently I've started working with a lot of people who are, as this happens very much like my family. Um, I live in a rural community and so a lot of my clients have moved from the cities, from California, from New York, places like that to uh, more friendly places as far as if they have a business and, you know, home prices, all that stuff. And so that's really become a niche for us. So, you know, if you have any listeners who have thought about moving from where they live or thought about changing their life or living in a rural community, um, we've been working with a lot of clients on that particular goal. So how do they get a hold of you? Um, they can find me on my website, chiselmfinancialplanning.com. They are more than welcome to email me, Jenny, and I'll spell this for you, at chiselmfinancialplanning.com, C-H-I-S-H-O-L-M, financialplanning.com. They can also find me on Twitter, Chisholm Finance, and on YouTube, Chisholm Finance. So more than happy, uh, if they reach out, DM me, say hi, more than happy to say hi back. Okay, Jenny, I want to thank you very much for spending some time with us and explaining some of the things that that 
The powers that be, they don't really care to explain it all that deeply because they want you to remain in a cloud and confused. Mm-hmm. You know, so the, the more we can shed light on financial literacy and the power that we do have as a people, uh, the better it is. So, like I said, I, I hope to uh, talk to you again in the near future about the, the Federal Reserve because, you know, as, because we both read the book, Creature from Jekyll Island. <laughs> yeah, it's going to set your hair on fire when you realize what these people did. Yeah. Jenny, thank you for your time, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks, Frank. I'll talk to you later. Handcrafted exotic blend teas at the lowest shipping cost anywhere. Hi, I'm CJ, owner of the Emerald Coast Tea Company. We ship our premium gourmet blends with Sindel, offering you the lowest shipping prices anywhere, while also being carbon neutral. Excellent tea at the right price. Check us out at www.emeraldcoastteacompany.com. Honey, this ain't your mom's tea. Ticketmaster's parent company is going woke. They want you to forget about the ridiculous service and convenience fees they charge that nearly double ticket prices. Ticketmaster got caught hacking their competitor to keep customers from getting lower prices. And parent company CEO Michael Rapino laid off workers in droves while raking in millions. It's why Ticketmaster is one of the most hated companies in America. Michael Rapino, Ticketmaster, serve your customers, not woke politicians. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate us, and comment if your platform lets you. And head on over to undergroundusa.com and sign up for our Substack. Come straight to you, circumventing the censors. If you sign up as a paid subscriber, you get access to PDF versions of all my past books and early access to new features. And lastly, don't forget to get your copy of Nullification, the case for decentralizing the federal government, available on Amazon in digital and print. Thank you for listening. My name is Frank Salvato, and you're listening to Underground USA. This podcast is a production of the Compass Point Group.